Walt Disney World Memory number 172, Walt Disney's One Man's Dream. Today's memory is made possible by the recurring supporters. These are listeners like you that are helping to ensure that we can continue to produce high quality family entertainment as we've been doing since 2006. As a thank you for their generosity, these supporters receive gifts from me like ad-free and early access to episodes. If you would like to find out how to join the recurring supporters for as little as $1 a month, visit our website at www-memories.net slash support. You can now become a supporter directly through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Patreon, as well as many other ways. I hope you can agree that the work we have put into the show is worth it and would consider a small support donation. Again, to find out how you can help, go to www-memories.net slash support. Seventy-two of the WDW Memories Podcast. My name is Lou and I'll once again be your host as we take this journey into another Walt Disney World memory. It's almost here, our vacation to Florida, which is including two days at Walt Disney World, is just about a week away. I can't wait for this trip. We ordered our Magic Bands earlier this week and some of our FastPass Plus and dining reservations are all set. Now it's just a countdown till the days until we're there. I'm looking forward to making more memories that I can share with all of you later, hopefully catching some of the new attractions or new experiences with our kids. It's going to be so much fun. But for now, let's get back to Disney's Hollywood Studios and our memory for today. So as I said last time, it's a hot Sunday in June of 2012. You know, those kind of days that make you melt the moment you leave the air conditioning. In memory 171, I finished up my supper on the patio outside of the Brown Derby, soaking up the atmosphere while I ate my amazing Cobb salad. Now that I'm fed, it's time to find my next attraction, Walt Disney One Man's Dream. As I began to walk towards Mickey Avenue, R2-D2 goes running by. It is Star Wars weekend, of course. I have to stop to get a quick photo or two, and then I'll continue on my way. We'll round the corner, head down the avenue, and into the attraction. We've got a few minutes before the film starts, so I wander around the exhibits, taking pictures and reading some of the details of Walt's life. Eventually, the doors will open, and we'll be led into the theater where we'll take our seat and enjoy hearing about how Walt's dreams and visions carried this company from very humble beginnings to the company we see today. After the film presentation, I'll head back out to Mickey Avenue and on to my next attraction. There is definitely something different about this attraction. It's more museum piece than show, and honestly, I'm not really sure what to think of it. As a museum piece, it's in a league of its own, rivaling those I grew up seeing at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. In a park of high-powered attractions and shows, it seems to be a little overlooked and stands off to the side and is often passed for something more attention-grabbing. It's fun to wander through, but honestly, I'm not sure how much more time I'll ever spend in here just because of the other choices there are in this park. 
and that's coming from a huge Walt Disney fan. It's worth a stop at least once, though, and I would suggest everyone see that film so that you have an understanding of who Walt Disney, the person, was. As always, you can find out how to contact or follow me, find out more about the show, see photos and videos, and of course support the show at our www-memories.net website. Thank you to all of those of you who are leaving reviews on sites like iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. This helps increase our visibility and provides people with an idea of how good this podcast really is. Now today's memory is in binaural once again, so I'd suggest putting on those headphones to fully immerse yourself in the memory. Now sit back, relax, close your eyes, and come with me as we learn about the man that created a family-friendly empire.
What time's the next show? It's all continuous. Okay. So one lets out, another goes out. All right. Yeah. 
To his death in December of 1966, Walt Disney was very deeply involved in the planning and designing of Walt Disney World. His death left those of us in charge. in the scene were separated according to their varying distances from the viewer. With our original picture broken down in this manner, it is possible to control the relative speed with which each
Motion Picture Celebration at Walt Disney. As a courtesy to other guests around you, please refrain from smoking, eating, or drinking in the theater. No flash photography and no videos. Also, if you have a cell phone, please take a moment to silence that now. And now the Walt Disney Corporation is proud to present One Man's Dream. They say that Hollywood is a town built on dreams, and one of its greatest dreamers was Walt Disney. Walt believed that any hype could be scaled if he knew the secret of making dreams come true. Well, he certainly knew that secret. He touched the hearts of millions of people around the world. The story of Walt's life is truly an amazing one, and no one can tell it better than Walt himself. But that worked in the World's Fair building. He eventually ended up in Chicago as a contractor. And he was doing that when I was born. December 5th, 1901. But my dad made some money as a contractor. And he wanted to get back to the farm. They finally ended up buying a farm in Marceline, Missouri. It was a beautiful farm. But it was not the kind of farm to make a living with. Things got pretty tough on the farm. My dad sold the farm, took the money, and went to Kansas City. And my dad bought this uh, Kansas City Star route. And they gave me a route. I was about nine or ten when I started that. With her, we'd go out at 3.30 in the morning right after a blizzard, or in a blizzard, or in pouring rain. It didn't matter. I did that for six years. It was tough. It seems that everywhere Walt's father turned, found failure, and the constant struggle took its toll on the family. One by one, the children began to leave home. Then came the day Walt woke up to find his best friend, his brother Roy, had gone as well. My brother had joined the uh, Navy, so I wanted to join him. Well, I was still a year too young, I was 16. Finally, this kid came in to me very excited. He said, there's something, something just for me here that you and I can get in. What is it? He says an amnesty. I was in Paris, 3rd of September, when Pershing pulled up. Paris, which had been this exciting thing, all these soldiers and things, suddenly there wasn't a soldier to be seen. And I suddenly became very lonesome. So then I went in and put a request in to be discharged. So I hit Chicago. That's where my parents were living. I think it's 
I think it's important to have a good advice failure when you're young. Well, I packed all my worldly goods in a cardboard suitcase. I went to Hollywood. Arriving there with just $40 in my pocket for my Kansas City ventures. Now, my brother Roy was already in Los Angeles. Both of us were unemployed. We solved the problem by going into business for ourselves. We established the first animated cartoon studio in Hollywood. Walt's dream was finally coming true. He had his first commercial success. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And Walt himself was lucky enough to marry the girl of his dreams, Lillian, a pretty incontent girl who worked at his studio. Then he was dealt a tough blow. On a trip to New York City, he learned that through a contract loophole, he had lost ownership of Oswald. And to make matters worse, the distributor had signed away all of Walt's artists. Devastated, he headed back home to California. But something happened along the way that would change his world forever. Mickey Mouse came into our life. He popped out of my mind onto a drawing pad on a train ride from Manhattan to Hollywood at a time when the business fortunes of my brother Roy and myself were at lowest ebb and disaster seemed right around the corner. His first actual screen appearance was at the Old Colony Theater in New York in Steamboat Willie. He was the first cartoon character to express personality, and I thought of him from the first as a distinct individual. I did the voice. Mickey was simply a little personality assigned to the purposes of laughter. <laughs> Mickey fitted the need exactly. He brought in the money which saved the day. He enabled us to explore our medium and he paved the way for our more elaborate screen ventures. By nature, I'm an experimenter, so I had another idea which was plaguing my brain. It was the Silly Symphonies. It was a series without a central character. Every one of them was a, a new type of subject to give us something to reach out of and accomplish something different. Then we started distributing both Mickey Mouse and the Silly Symphonies. It was nip and tuck. Walt began to push himself and his artists. He worked day and night, and when he wasn't working, he was worrying about the future. But then the inevitable happened. In 1931, he suffered what he called a heck of a breakdown. So he took Lillian on the first vacation they had ever had. By the time he got back, he was a new man and ready to get back to work. handwriting on the wall there because the short subject was just a filler on any program. Now if I could crack the feature field then I could do things. I had done a little story research on different fairy tales I might do and Snow White was one of them. I thought it was a perfect story. I had the heavy. It's a magic world. 
Make a wish. I had the uh, prince and the girl, the romance. I had the sympathetic warmth and things. We started Snow White sometime late 35, and it was around two years in the making. We had the, the family fortune. We had everything wrapped up in Snow White. In fact, the, the banker, I think, was losing more sleep than I was. We had a big premiere, the Carthay Circle Theater, big, grand Hollywood premiere. All of Hollywood brass turned out for a cartoon.
there should be something built, some kind of a, an amusement enterprise built where that the parents and the children could uh, have fun together. So that's how Disneyland started. Takes a lot of money to uh, make these dreams come true. Uh, we had everything mortgaged, including my family. I started with many ideas, threw them away, started all over again. Eventually it evolved into what you see today as Disneyland. But it all started from a daddy with two daughters wondering where he could take them, where he could have a little fun with them too. Heart means a lot to me in that something will never be finished, something that I can keep developing and adding to. Not only can I add things, but even the trees will keep growing. The thing will get more beautiful every year. And I knew that if I did anything like the park, I had to have some kind of a medium like television to let the people know about it.
enjoy your one-man dreams, please gather belongs. Exit out the doors to your left. If there's anybody want to go to the right and finish that, you can go to the right. And uh, enjoy the rest of the day here for the Disney's Hollywood Studio. Bye. You say bye right into that? Bye. Good job.